0: Is there like water running?
1: No, it's my dog licking up his water. Okay. We'll wait just a moment for him to finish drinking.
0: Hydrate Orson. All
1: right, he's done hydrating. Okay. <laughs> Orson, are you hydrated? <laughs> he looks hydrated.
2: <laughs>
3: Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I'm joined today by backup showrunner for the real Wedding Crashers, Peter Cook.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's me, the real Wedding Crashers, not those fake ones like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn or whoever was in that movie. No, you got it right. Oh,
1: I'm ashamed.
3: <laughs> and of course, legacy epoxy mixologist, Jeremy Ruggles.
1: Let's stick together. <laughs> I'm
0: sticking with you.
1: That I'm, was worth the wait. I'm sticking with you. Because Babe. I'm
0: made out of glue. Epoxy. You ever heard the band, The Epoxies? No. They're pretty good.
1: Yeah? Can you
3: buy it for a dollar? No. Why well, the fuck are we talking about m- Maybe them, the
0: then? CD. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, I have an album that you could buy for a dollar.
0: Yeah, what it is? It's
1: Material.
0: (laughs) It's so fitting. I'm looking at the cover right now, and what does it have on the cover?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, on the Material album, by the name of One Down, Sean, would you describe what you
3: see? I'm seeing a blue background. I'm seeing a little bit of ring wear. Uh, I'm seeing some mild to moderate edge wear, and uh, you got a red font. The material is a larger font size than the album title, and in between, it's a dollar.
1: It's like a dollar, but like something's punched out of the dollar. It's a little, little chewed up. Looks looks like it's chewed up, but if you look closer, yeah. it's not bite marks. What is that? That's a very
3: familiar image. Could it be America? That's,
1: that's the United States of America. Is this,
3: is this a political album, Jeremiah?
1: It is. Isn't really
0: okay. <laughs> just cons- the art conceptual that part of it. The art department were feeling that way.
1: True, they're trying There's... to make a buck off the punks. I see. Mm-hmm. It was actually why I bought this album, though. Sight unseen. Wait, no. Unheard. Unheard. Sight unheard. <laughs> <laughs> I... Only sight seen. I won't go into my job for like HIPAA law reasons, but. I hang out with people who need help, and one of those people likes to go to antique stores, mm-hmm. and I dig the crates when we're at the antique stores, but I don't have my portable record player because that would be highly unprofessional of me, and this one had just too good of a cover for me to be like, I'm not, I can't take a chance. Mm-hmm it's so, an
3: intriguing cover despite how simplistic it is
1: it it makes you think that there's something going on here yeah i expected it to be maybe kind of cheesily laden with political themes uh, which and you is are a sucker for that right at kind of my body. alley yeah. <laughs> but it really i mean as far as i can tell unless it's real subtle in there it's not political it's kind of Dancy and almost commercial except well, i'm just gonna play it yeah let's, let's play it yeah let's what track are you gonna play i'm gonna play the second track i'm the one and it features niall rogers is probably the best known person in on this one that's my dude
0: yeah have we said bill laswell's name yet no let's just say that real quick bill laswell bill laswell yeah and, and we'll, we'll talk
1: michael Beinhorn, also officially a member of material on this album Ooh, just those two
0: who is that tell me after the song yeah we'll go ahead and listen and then we'll talk more about them yeah just let
3: can, it can we listen to it now can uh, we can we please listen to this now
1: all right please please, With please. the name jeremy please michael binehorn marinating in your skull please, please. listen please jeremy please listen please, to for this the love song. Of god
3: play the fucking song
0: Sean said, as soon as the guitar came in, that's Nile Rodgers for oh, sure. Yeah.
3: That's the official calling card.
0: I kept thinking of... <laughs> I kept, when I was previewing this, I had never heard it until Jeremy said it was his pick, but I kept forgetting when a, that I was not listening to a Chic record at points.
1: All right. Well, let me tell you guys about Material a little bit. They are not even really a band. It is more... It was described by Bill Laswell, whose name was mentioned as (laughs) sort of a network more than a band. And it was kind of a front for like a way to for him to create these songs and bring people together, put it out under a sort of label or thing that people know to associate. And that's material.
0: What year was this album?
1: This album was nineteen eighty two. It was Material's third album. And Material themselves, I'll get a little bit into their history, and then I'm gonna dive even further back. We're gonna go a little nonlinear, get a little Tarantino. A little Tarantino on you, I suppose. <laughs> there will be no like violence or guts though. I don't think. No. None planned. None planned. Orson's eyeball on me though. Um, material started out in new york in the mid to late 70s and was actually the backing band for david allen of gong okay
0: i knew that his name was associated with material
1: yeah they started as just his backing band and then he stopped performing with them and they just became material and they would bring on guest vocalists and it seems like every album they would put out, they would lose an official member, <laughs> and just pile in more collaborators until this album, when the only official members were Bill Laswell, who ultimately material, really just became Bill Laswell, uh, because then after their next album, Michael Beinhorn, who is marinating in your mind right now, still he's also still there. Left. I'm gonna just truck through Michael Beinhorn, cover him a little bit, and just move on from him. Okay. And then he's fully cooked after that, done marinating? Then he's, yeah, fully cooked and out of the oven. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, he quit material as a band in 1984. How dare he? I know. Who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's one of the most prominent producers of alt rock in the 90s is who he thinks he is. He uh, went on. Well, starting shortly after that, he started producing albums with Red Hot Chili Peppers, Soul Asylum, Violent Femmes, Soundgarden, Hole, Marilyn Manson, Corn. This
3: list just keeps getting better as you go. <laughs> you ready for the the local
1: tie-in here? Uh huh. The Verve Pipe. Woo! Woo! Michigan rep, resent. He went on to become a producer of mostly alt-rock, kind of poppy, grungy blends. Did he
0: produce Villains, the Big Verve Pipe album, the one with the Freshman on it?
1: No, he produced the album right after that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) follow-up. The fan favorite.
1: The fan favorite. He went on to just kind of become a producer when I read about his interviews with him, about his time and material He kind of views it as like, that's where he cut his teeth actually playing an instrument, but ultimately seemed to recognize that he wasn't like a musician or a sort of performer. That was the other thing I picked up is he's kind of the opposite of Bill Laswell in that he's not charismatic. He just looks and talks like someone who kind of fades into the background. As he's
3: about to do on this podcast, fade into the
0: background and not be talked about. What what did he play in material? You may have said, but what did he? What was his instrument? He
1: did the synthesizers and like programming, okay, uh, kind of things. And then Bill Laswell, the other member, did bass, bass master. And then they would just bring on people for everything else. I'll just mention. What Michael Beinhorn does now, and then we're gonna throw him out collects, the oven. Collects big fat royalty checks. But I do. Yeah, I find it kind of interesting. He has a perspective. Him and Bill both have pretty interesting perspectives, I thought, on modern music industry. And Michael believes that a lot of great songs are being written, but not done justice because there's no money. To produce these things like there used to be like there's a handful of Lady Gaga and whoever that gets the million-dollar recording setups and everybody else is getting incredibly reduced budgets from The kind of budgets they were getting in the 80s and 90s So these songs are coming out sort of half fleshed out like not fully realized songs so he is focused on not even producing anymore, but really helping people that he thinks are making good songs with the pre-production process of making sure the songs themselves are fully formed and the arrangements and everything are planned beforehand so that when they do go into the studio, they can keep a, kind of run a tight ship and still come out with a decent product.
3: I like that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a pro bono producer now. Yeah, he's—I'm sure—has so much money and yeah, getting fame, all that corn um, money, getting that corn money that Marilyn Manson, <laughs> beautiful animals, money or whatever, or that
0: Red Hot Chili Peppers money too. Yeah,
1: yeah, the boys got checks. <laughs> yeah, Soundgarden—he did the famous <laughs> Soundgarden album with Black Hole Sun on it. Super unknown. That. Yeah, I was around in 1994. I was seven. So I missed that one at the time. Mm, I was even younger than that. That brings us to the other member, Bill Laswell. Heard of him. You've heard of him. I've heard do go on with Sean. I've heard that he's
3: a he plays bass. True. In, in this band and others. True. On the real though, Bill's a guy that his name has come up tons and tons of times over the years, me listening to other projects and discovering stuff that i'm into he's done a lot of different things in both the production and the performance area and uh, he's done a lot of work with a guitar player that we've talked about previously sonny shirak and he was responsible for sonny's coming out of retirement into
1: the music industry later on true in mm-hmm. 91 i believe he coaxed him out
0: yeah ask the ages was the album that's yeah. cool great album. I've I've long known Bill Laswell's name from his association with the Golden Palominos, which was Anton Fear from the Feelies and the Lounge Lizards that was his band. And I believe that's just a cornucopia of guests that have come through that project over the years. I don't know if it's still going or not. You may have mentioned the Golden pa- Bill Laswell is involved in so much that we could probably have a whole show focused on yeah. him.
3: I suppose it must be mentioned before we go farther into this album that he also did a infamous lost hip-hop album that i was playing for you guys before we hit record on this podcast in 92 he worked with the group the jungle brothers to make an album called crazy wisdom masters that was never released in that format warner brothers decided it was much too experimental to make any money and forced a re-edit of it from their own people and it came out as uh, JB's With The Remedy, as a much more watered-down and supposedly commercial-friendly album that kind of just flopped and then ended Jungle Brothers' career in the mainstream. But the unreleased album is one of the greatest hip-hop albums ever, and I wish more people knew about it, but it's still pretty much buried. You can find it on YouTube, but there's no official releases still.
1: Bill was a part of an insane amount of projects. He was asked in one of the interviews I was looking at, like how many things he's been on or produced or been associated with, he said he had no idea. But there's some biographer guy who keeps following him around. Who last he accounted was up to around three thousand. That's crazy. Yeah, and I'll just run through. I'll just drop a little listicle on you of. I uh, love those lists. Hit some, me with that uh, list, Jeremy. Things he was involved with after material. He was called in to work with Mick Jagger on his solo stuff, Africa Bambada, Public Image Limited, Laurie Anderson, Peter Gabriel, The Last Poets, Buckethead, Sting, Soundtribe Sector 9, Lee Scratch Perry, Swans, The Ramones, and most famously, he and Michael Beinhorn produced... And uh, sort of shaped Herbie Hancock's Future Shock album. And they both wrote the song Rocket that became a big hit.
3: Mm-hmm. And made a music video for that song that was made by... Ooh, another time Godley, Godley and Cream from... 10CC. Jeremy's band. My favorite, favorite band. band. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It all comes back. I'm going to play another song and then... We'll talk more. That's what we do here. Mm.
0: Sounds good. What are we going to hear now, Jeremy?
1: We're going to hear a little song called Memories. Is it good? Yes. Should I keep my headphones on while we
3: listen to this one? Yes. All right, well...
1: sure was a pretty voice huh guys
3: it
0: sure
1: was who was that was pretty that was a 17 year old whitney houston doing her first ever lead vocal on a track
0: incredible i'm curious she has a great voice i'm curious if she ever did anything else
1: (laughs) uh i think the bodyguard (laughs) that's about it she had a
3: a bit part in that film (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: think it sold a few copies the yeah. soundtrack
1: also what do you think of that sax
3: i thought that sax was was pretty smooth pretty archie good. shepp son oh my god <laughs> that's as uh, as we said in the break that's one of my all-time favorite saxophone players interesting that he got him on there
1: yeah bill he just was connected with everybody apparently and would bring in these heavy hitters for his obscure band that Fills bargain bins across the land now. <laughs> are, you
3: gonna, are you are you going to talk about the drummer on that track? Did you do any research on that? Front? I don't even
1: know who the drummer is on that okay. track.
3: His name is Yogi Horton, and I just like looked him up briefly while we were listening to that song. It says in the 1980s he was the go-to guy for hundreds of TV commercials. That was his main thing. Like if you needed some, if you needed some percussion. Oh, I'm on your Yogi. yeah, on your on your commercial in the '80s, this was your dude. But he also worked with Diana Ross, Stephanie Mills, Gladys Knight, Aretha Franklin, all kinds of people. But yeah, so he was an R and B drummer that was just notable for having well, a very versatile style and able to play with anybody.
0: Well, I wonder if I wonder if he helped bring Whitney Houston in then, or or how what how at the age of seventeen she came to be on this track do you, do you have any Could idea be.
1: let's I'd, let's say it was yogi i don't let's say it was yogi i actually <laughs> spent a decent amount of time trying to find something with whitney houston saying something about being in this project mm-hmm. and i read a ton of interviews with bill laswell and none of them really referenced like how whitney was there or what he thought of the track or anything it didn't even come up I mean, I guess that happens when you've done 3,000 things.
0: But uh, she's a pretty notable person to have worked with, though. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that I, young age. I couldn't find anything. But it's also when the band is named Material, it's like unGoogleable. It's one right. of those kind of terms. Yeah. So I was, I uh, did not find anything. Was- if you listeners know anything, have anywhere to point us, I would be super interested in that. Yeah. It's a, fascinating enigma
3: and from the sounds of it this is probably far from the only story of bill laswell working with a now famous artist before they got famous
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he was well wow i could go on a thousand tangents i'm gonna jump back though a little bit mm-hmm. to a young bill laswell who much like all of us is a michigander oh is he yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was genuine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, genuine yeah. and
1: slightly accusatory. <laughs> <laughs> he cut his teeth in the Detroit scene. Literally or figuratively? Probably both. Okay. Is he <laughs> hanging out with SRC or something? I don't know what SRC is.
0: Scott Richardson case. A yeah, you member.
1: don't know the
3: band, so let's name the band members and <laughs> see if that pr- rings a bell for you. No, that's what
0: the letters stand for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so yeah, he cut his teeth in the Detroit scene, like lots of young musicians heard that New York is where you go to really prove yourself, so he moved out to New York. When he was 15 years old, he heard one of his heroes, Sonny Chirac, mm. at the Newport, Newport Folk Festival? Yeah. yeah. And... Sonny was playing with Herbie Mann Wow Go figure All the tie-ins we have All
0: the connections
1: So
3: what year would that have been around about?
1: Oof that, I'm guessing it would have been the early 70s Because he was 15 that makes He sense. moved to New York at like 17 My guess would be early to mid 70s I didn't write it down though Okay.
3: Probably um, early because Sonny was only with Herbie Mann For a few years And that was more late 60s But he might have just called him up to go do a festival gig with him. Who knows?
1: Yeah, because Bill was talking in one interview about... Because he was buddies with Sonny, and Sonny ended up playing on some of his records. And then later on, he brought Sonny out of retirement, Mm -hmm. like we'd mentioned. And Sonny confided to him that all of Herbie Mann's band, including himself, was approached by Miles Davis to play with Miles Davis but all of them turned him down because he didn't pay well and herbie Mann uh paid his people well and treated them as like equals and respectfully and miles davis was not known for that (laughs) yeah i mean that (laughs) also ties into the the
3: final thing we talked about in the herbie episode of miles has the legacy and herbie doesn't and that's just not fair which is why we're here So just we're we're updating Herbie Mann's legacy for the people.
1: We're setting the record straight and making a lot of enemies along the way. (laughs) True. So Laswell moves to New York, starts hanging around the like prog scene. That's how he ends up with David Allen. And from gong. The rest is history. They end up making this crazy album. I'm gonna throw another cut on and then I'll talk. I just wanna talk about Bill's just a cool dude and has interesting perspectives on the music industry. So I'm going to get into that, but I'm going to play a song called Holding On.
3: That was not Whitney Houston, and we were trying to figure out who was doing the vocals on that track. We thought maybe Nana Hendricks, because Material's done some work with her, and she's on other tracks on this album, right? Correct. Uh, But that was not. That was a lady by the name of B.J. Nelson, who I just looked up. She had one solo record in 89. She was in a band called The Goon Squad that had a hit in 85, and wrote a song for the Goonies movie, but the scene was eventually cut. (laughs) So if you got that director's cut of The Goon Squad, then you're probably familiar with B.J. Nelson. And then uh, later on, she was in a group called The Woo Warriors with Bernie Worrell from P-Funk, greatest keyboard player of all time.
0: Wasn't he also in The Talking Heads?
3: Yes. Yes.
0: Awesome. Wow. He
3: was the reason why The Talking Heads started writing really, really good music. They (laughs) were... I mean like even David Byrne had said like we were a pretty good band until Bernie Worrell joined and taught us all how to play instruments <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I remember in one of the interviews I was reading about Bill he described him as one of the most underrated musicians Like alive or making music. Yeah he Has his fingerprints on all kinds of things that people don't know. Definitely and he gets no uh, Gets no love for it and he died broke as far as i know wow yeah as i mentioned before bill was it seemed comes off as very charismatic and clearly was excellent at networking he went on to like make his own labels and would organize these various projects and bands and he kind of became the go-to sort of he didn't like being called a producer but anytime a band needed a new sound, needed something different or a different element to be brought in, they'd go to Bill and be like, Hey, Bill, make this interesting. <laughs> and he would just throw all kinds of crazy ideas at it and make really interesting music that was often not popular, but he was able to get labels to keep throwing money at him.
3: Yeah. And a lot of that music has aged better than some of the stuff that might have been more popular at the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think he has a quote that I am unclear if he was just quoting it or if he actually thought of it, but I think really captures his perspective where he says, art is not a mirror, art is a hammer.
0: <laughs> that sounds about right for his approach.
1: Yeah. He believes in building and building, creating something actually new not reflecting re- a feeling you yeah. have or smashing the mirror <laughs> or smashing the
3: mirror yeah and building something in its place
1: yeah destruction and creation the the uh urge to destroy is a creative urge huh,
3: huh?
1: here we go <laughs> anyways laswell He also had interesting views on modern productions versus how it used to be, you know, old folks and they're like, things used to be different, but he kind of had some interesting valid points. He describes the music industry he came up in in the 80s in New York as being very mob like, like actually run by criminals who actually handle like. Drug Empires and Beat People and Steal.
0: I think that's what that HBO show vinyl that was on for one season was about. I don't know if either of you watched that.
1: Didn't catch that one. I didn't either.
0: Wasn't great, had its moments, but yet definitely tied in the whole criminal element to the music industry. So it's worth watching if if you're bored. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bill kind of viewed himself during that era as sort of Robin Hood, who he described himself as stealing from these thieves essentially by getting them to fund his insane ideas and projects and distributing that money out to musicians that he really respected and would do crazy things like he wants a certain gong guy he knows in Japan who's really sick at gong for 30 seconds in the chorus of a song. So he'd fly like the whole band out to some premium studio in Japan and they'd all party just so they could get this gong sound. (laughs) Um, So he really took advantage of those. It's kind of that like movie mentality you get from the eighties of like excess and ridiculousness. He also believes that modern music is kind of suffering from that not existing anymore and raised pretty valid interesting points about how they've reduced budgets way 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 down because of modern technologies where you can fix things on computers but the reality is certain things have been solved by computers but other things just can't be you can't make a cheap microphone sound like a very good microphone yet at least on a computer you can't make a space accurately sound good or a certain way on a computer Um, so there's certain things that he believes they haven't solved yet And But they took the budget away to solve those problems. So now there's all these problems just popping up in modern recordings that didn't used to be there.
0: Yeah, in the 10cc episode, we kind of talked about the consumer element, the other end of it, of of the stereo systems kind of being reduced in the quality expectations in the home. But I think it's happening on the other end as well, like you said. And it's like, oh, certainly we can record this. You know much more efficiently and inexpensively you know than we used to have to but i think it is suffering it, yeah yeah it is suffering with that approach i don't think yeah i don't think that we can emulate some of the recording techniques as well as we think we can
1: yeah and he seems to kind of lament that he can't serve in that robin hood role anymore either of Giving some guy that he likes, who wants to be a guitar player, eighty grand to play guitar on some track, and that guy doesn't have to work for three years or find another gig. Like all those kind of opportunities have been lost uh, because there's just not money flowing in like there used to be. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I have to think session players. The, there's probably less opportunities there than there used to be. As, Oh absolutely! Oh, yeah. We go through these records and we see these people over and over again, and uh, the recession players. And I just don't know if that's people are making careers out of it as, like they used to be able to.
1: Mm-mm. He also interestingly described the modern record industry when he was asked about like streaming services. He seems to view those companies as being thieves, obviously, but he describes it as more like adolescent petty thieves who are afraid of violence kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) seems to seem to like actively promote that back in my day, our thieves and our music industry criminals were like (laughs) actually tough and scary (laughs) And these guys are just number nerds who are robbing people. It, and it, there
0: used to be all those anecdotes of, you know, threats of violence and stuff like that. Suge Knight, Vanilla Ice, and whatnot. And you don't hear about that stuff anymore. It, yeah. You just hear people not getting paid.
1: Yeah.
3: Having and little to, battles online. Instagram <laughs> wars.
1: Oh, I only made 13 cents from my album. That's not exciting to anybody, though. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make news. It just disappears into the ether and they keep getting away with it
3: are you suggesting that people should start threatening spotify with violence
1: i would never <laughs> just saying those guys they're not buff they're at computers, <laughs> aren't they? their home security code is be very vulnerable i imagine
3: uh-huh a brick will get you through the window and a baseball bat and you own the company that's <laughs>
1: harsh. <laughs> this is where I expected this to go, right? <laughs> this is not how I expected this to go, but yeah, Bill Laswell guy kinda rules
0: What uh, what label is this on, Jeremy? What did you, I don't know if you said at the beginning what oh, label. Oh, he's
3: going for the record. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's gonna clean this up in post to make you think that he had the answer already, but he doesn't
1: That's true This came out on Electra Records It's Electra? Electra
0: Okay, I was wondering if it was on uh, ZE or Z Records, which that compilation that I mentioned on our Christmas episode, that that Waitress's Christmas song was on material, were also on that as well. Bill Laswell's material were on that. So, uh-huh.
1: Yeah, it seems like he was pretty deeply ingrained in the music community, and yeah, he knew everybody.
0: Well... Is there anything else of material interest?
1: I'll go out on one more song, but I also I just wanted to throw this little nugget into the air because I feel like it also captured how weird Bill aswell is and how he's worked with all these famous music people and in the music industry but without any seeming interest to be popular, or he doesn't even seem to understand like how to make a popular thing. Even though he's done it on accident a few times, <laughs> um, but at one point he decided that the soundtrack for Koyaniskatsi, Koyaniskatsi, yes, okay. Uh, he thought that Philip Glass's soundtrack didn't really fit very well, <laughs> so he went in and redid the soundtrack just for himself to like release as an alternative soundtrack for that movie. Wow. And I felt like that just captured... like. I think his... of that
0: as a pretty iconic soundtrack. I mean, I know Philip yeah.
1: Glass, you know, the,
0: but still, that's pretty funny that that would be his takeaway. That doesn't fit this time-lapse.
1: Yeah, I images. better redo it myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Bill Aswell
1: right there. So if you're digging this, he went on to make all kinds of other interesting albums under the material name and under like lots of other band names i think he had 74 studio albums that were like his albums and then he's on or produced countless other albums so what are we going to be are we going to be going out on this number we're going to go out on this number okay so we're signing off we're signing off because this has been. i'd buy that for a dollar and my name is jeremy ruggles my name is peter cook and i'm sean hartman and i'm gonna leave you off with the song don't lose control don't do it yo
0: hit him with it peter all right thank you for listening to another episode of i'd buy that for a dollar if you would like to reach out to us and talk about what you've heard or have suggestions for what you might like to hear in the future, you can always hit us up at I'd buy that podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. I buy that podcast, Facebook. I buy that podcast. And if you're really feeling generous, you can also find us on Patreon patreon.com slash i'd buy that podcast so thanks again and we'll see you around like a record baby right round